Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast for myself, comedian, writer, and occasional actor, Dane Baptiste, and my producer friend, Howard Cohen, a.k.a. The Hizzer. Hello! And a mix of very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked. And we are talking everything from... From uh, how do you clean your nose? Uh, uh, I mean, some people get stuck in, you know, some people... How do you clean your nose, Dane? Do you not want to talk about this? I can talk about it. I don't clean it for food, if that's what you were asking. Um, yeah, I do, I'm a tissue guy. Old school. Old school tissue guy. Classic tissue um, guy. Handkerchief? I, you not know handkerchief? No. No, I feel like... Uh, uh, ugh, no. That's like turning your underwear inside out. It's covered in dirt. So, um... Yeah. I'm, um... I'm just basically... Uh, do you know what? I actually don't have to clean my nose often these days, you know? Yeah. Thankfully, because... I try to. I just try and live a lifestyle where I got minimal mucus, mate. Minimal mucus. Yeah. Some people get up to their fucking elbows in it, though, didn't they? They absolutely get. Listen, just... I've seen people scratching their their hypothalamus. Yeah. they in their fingers and their nose so far. Um, but yeah, I just go. But I'm an old school tissue guy. Tissue guy, nice. Tissue guy. Nice. But we ask all the questions. We ask all of the questions. All the questions that need to be asked. And if the question is, is it okay to pick your nose? It, not really. Not really. Especially, especially on public transport. If you knew oh. what your fingers had touched before, I mean, we got to question everything, Howard. Yeah, yeah. We got to question everything. We have a very esteemed guest on the show today. It's a rising American comedy star currently based in the UK. He has already appeared on numerous one-to-watch lineups and gaining a seriously impressive list of credits. He's become known for his risk-taking, rebellious onstage personality. He has now established himself as a major player on the UK comedy circuit along his stateside work with legendary venues, the Comedy Store, and the Laugh Factory. It's the unapologetic but very friendly and humble, Russell Hicks. Hey, I make no hey, apologies. <laughs> yeah, there you go. No I need make, to. No need I'm to. We no, I don't. I never. I've never apologized. I bump somebody on the tube. Whatever. Look. Look for someone else. <laughs> British people love to say sorry all the time as well, Russell. People love to say yeah. sorry in this country. How you been, Russ? You missing? You missing? You missing the audiences, Russell? Because I know you love to interact with the audiences, right? Mm, yeah so i've done a there's like you can do gigs online and stuff and i figured out how to do that i just like go through everybody's um videos and just make fun of them <laughs> in person you know <laughs> or over the over the skype it's probably um horrifying for them but yeah i don't know man i'm just kind of missing the uh i i don't know i don't even i think for a while i wasn't really missing anything i think what i'm missing now is like i said like there's just this invasion of like like I feel like I'm heavily equipped for this because I'm pretty good at just being like just mm-hmm. hanging out. Like a lot of people yeah. think it's laziness, but uh, I like to think, you know, it's, it's just being, I don't know. At Tranquility. Peak. Yeah. Tranquility. You're, you're, happy, you're happy with your own company. You're happy with just like the stillness because you know, the mind remains active. So if you, you know, it's like a lot of people have to meditate to achieve that state of calm. 
So if you're just happy, just chilling, like, and especially if you're a cerebral person, it's like, I'm comfortable with my own musings in the world. I'm comfortable with who I am and thinking about it or pondering my existence. That's not a bad thing. That's what you're supposed to do as a comic anyway, is be still and kind of look at the world. So, Well, sometimes I think, I think I'm just too lazy to stress out about stuff. You know, like stressing yeah. out about things in the future is just, I'm too lazy for it. Like, that's the <laughs> thing, man. Everybody panicked the day. I mean, seriously, I couldn't believe how fast people immediately started like doing comedy. Like, I think lockdown was announced on <laughs> yeah. Tuesday. Wednesday morning, I woke up to like, Everybody was a TikTok star. Mate, 48 hours it took and people were like, uh, could you crowdfund me, please? How's the money run out already? <laughs> I know. I was like, like two days. I was like, can we I just want to get some food first, if right? that's all right. Oh, at least like I just want to, I don't know, like tidy my flat first before I start. <laughs> I know. It's like, why was that everybody's like uh you know what that reminds me of? I saw there was a plane, a plane went down. Uh, before lockdown and it didn't uh, nobody died but they had photos in the plane of it going down because some guy had selfied himself and i thought that was your fucking instinct that's where you went <laughs> he updated his status dane as it was i'm not even kidding what was his emoji what emoji he did he go with yeah, he he had cuz everybody had the oxygen mask and he had a photo of himself looking scared and it said uh, you know, something like, we hope we make it. I was like, that th that's what you reached for. <laughs> yeah, you probably should not have made it, to be fair. So that's what this has reminded me of. Everyone's like, oh my God. And then they just jumped on social media and it was like, I don't know. So yeah, interesting times. I, interesting I think, times. And, and I think in that week, everyone was like, you've got to do this. You've got to do this. And I was just like, whoa, whoa. I never felt like, being a mem member of this, I guess, this cult of comedy was going to exempt me from human tragedy or, or in any humanitarian crises. I'm sure there were really good Syrian comedians too before the war began. So mm. <laughs> no one's ever like, can you crowdfund me so that when I get to Calais, I can still do some gigs? Well, come and, come <laughs> yeah. and see me here, guys. Giving out flyers, like, you know, sometimes. <laughs> I just have a hard time with the Kickstarter thing. Like I haven't done it because it's like, why would I, first of all, I saved, so it's all right. But I was like, why would I expect someone who's struggling to give me some money? I just don't understand. Yeah. I mean, unless I can, unless it's just all celebrities, that's what they should do. We should all, all the celebrities, first of all, I think should be banned from the internet right now. <laughs> yeah, it is a weird thing, isn't it? I just feel like we're all trying to go through something and, and they're just like coming in, trying to be like, yeah, me too. And it's like, not, not now. Like we only need celebrities <laughs> when society is at a certain level. We don't need you right now. Right now you're of no use to us. You yeah. Not, you're not a key worker and you're such a, yeah, you're not a key worker right now. Even though normally you're perfect for the escapism and distraction that you provide on this inst in this instance, we don't need you right now. <laughs> I think all I do now is look at the the house behind them. I don't know. I think that's what everyone everyone's like doing that thing where they look at it's like a portal. Yeah, yeah. Very vo vo voyeuristic. Yeah. Are you watching the Last Dance that that Chicago Bulls? I've been watching it, and I've been watching it religiously. I absolutely love it. I love it too, and I just keep yeah. looking behind Michael Jordan, like, where do you? What is that? It's like, yeah. do. where does he live? How does he live? I know people forget that. Like, I think that show people forget that Jordan as a brand was a part of Nike mm. and uh, then this became so big. This became its own distinct brand unto itself. Yeah. It's probably time for a question, isn't it, Dane? 
It is right. time for a question. Uh, Russell, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, as our esteemed guest, we invite you to ask the first question, which we discussed for about 15 minutes. Then how to ask a question, and I will finish with a question. We do some blah blahs for the ha-has. We let everyone know we can find you. We go home. Everybody have a lovely time. Sound like a plan? I like it. I've got a question. Go ahead, please. I, th- I think this is pertinent to what we were talking about. I've been thinking about this lately. Now, at the risk of sounding out of touch or old, I just want to know, do you think that the internet is better now or was it better, not necessarily at its inception, but a previous time, maybe maybe 10 or so years ago? Because I am suspecting that it's changed a lot. And there, I feel like there was a time when the internet was almost the Wild West. And then now it's become dominated by maybe five or six corporations. Hmm. So that's my question to you. Is it better now or was it better previously? Russell, what, Russell, what do you remember the internet being like 10 years ago? Can you, have you any particular things that stand out? So what I was thinking about was there was obviously, it, you didn't have a phone. So you would go, you would sit down and engage with it. Hmm. And you generally had an objective and you didn't look at other people because the only thing that people, families would have websites. Does anyone remember that? <laughs> like, Russell, and it was the lamest Russell, shit ever. I think about this all the time, Russell, because HowardCohen.com, which if I was to show you guys uh, what it is, is an absolute fucking joke. Uh, where a woman has put up a thing for her uh, her grandmother's birthday. Oh, she's finally shut it down. I can get Howard.co.com. But it was literally a picture of her her mum's 99th birthday. That was, that was HowardCohen.com. That's what we call a 99th birthday here, Howard. <laughs> <laughs> called a Howard uh, Cohen. <laughs> I have something like that. There's this um, famous movie actor. Not even famous. He was in <laughs> 300 movies as like a tiny part. His name's Russell Hicks. And if you Google me, this motherfucker, man, he just, he always pops up. It looks like I'm dead. There's a white dude out there performing in the comedy in the UK, and his name was Richard Pryor. Ooh. (laughs) Just change it. You just got to change it. Yeah, Yeah, you got to change it. You got to go under an alias. Yeah, you got to change it. It's like, there's no more Hitlers now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, Well, they're out there. The semantics of it is different, but so far as like, you know, filling in the application form, no one's using a real name. Yeah. Do you know what? It's interesting you talk about this, Russell, with, with, with almost like, you know, think about 10 years ago what the internet was like, because I, I, it played a role in my life massively back then. You know, I, I was making uh, like sketches when I was, you know, quite a junior person in television. And, um, you know, at the time it was quite original. <laughs> I remember yeah. telling people, oh, you can watch my sketches online. It was like a few comedy guys that I work with, comedy actors I work with. And, you know, we, we, we managed to do some, you know, some quite decent things. Now, again, some of it was shit, but, you know, some of it was... But there wasn't that much competition, really. We, you know, I didn't know anyone else who was doing it. So yeah. it felt like we were uh, original, which I would say is, like, couldn't be further from the truth right now, right? Like, if you say you've got, yeah. got stuff online, it's just expected of you, isn't it? Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I was... um I started comedy right when it all exploded, really. Like, I, I remember it was about 2010, and it was like YouTube had just really taken off, like, not even taken off, but it was, I think there was only like, I don't know, like six podcasts or something. It was yeah. like a new thing. But even before that, I remember you'd go on the internet and surf the web. Remember? You'd yeah. Like, yeah. like <laughs> surf. And you'd go you'd go to like random weird shit. It would be like, Oh, I'm reading about the war or something like, 
Yeah. I don't know, but what, am I delusional? Like well, no, because I also remember it was slow. Yeah, and you do a little AOL man. That was horrible. But then before that, if you go to the next generation of of, of, of kind of technology before that, it was, it was Encarta. Do you remember Encarta? The, the, I had the, an Encarta CD. The that CD was, that you could, was, was, encyclopedia. Was that internet based. That was, that was, was that internet based. It became internet based, but originally yeah. it was just the thing that you put in your uh, so Encarta your was CD the uh, Wikipedia before before Wikipedia. Well, no, Wikipedia is more of a people can submit to that, but Encarta was yeah, the original was encyclopedias and yeah, surfing the web used to be nice. You couldn't you couldn't do it on your phone, mm. so I felt like there was a lot more of a concerted effort to spend time paying attention to what you were doing. But the majority of human interaction I saw was in chat rooms. That used to be the big thing, I think. Oh, yeah, I remember that. But the thing is, we, I remember it, but because I was neither a uh, white supremacist or a gay dude or a terrorist, <laughs> I probably didn't used to use them as often. So yeah. for a lot of the time, the people that... The, the irony of the internet nowadays is that the people that we tend to try and censor the most were the people that had the most interaction in chat rooms and in social media years ago. I know. I was going to say chat rooms was just immediately pedophiles. Like... It feels like pedophiles just jump on every new piece of technology. That's how we catch them. Well, that's because they, you know, they they have those childlike minds. And yeah, the, but that, all that horrible. Whoever whoever buys them. whoever buys the first thousand um, units of the new iPhone, lock them up. Oh, definitely. <laughs> what is the thing as well is that uh, pornography has always been a large driving part in the evolution of the internet. Anyway, so um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm not saying there was, so I would say the disc thing. No, that's too far back. I'm saying mm. there might've been a sweet spot. Maybe it was like 2009 mm. where shit was fast. The best internet time I've had was maybe 10 years ago when I first discovered Wikipedia. Mm. That's probably yeah. my, that was probably my best time. Prior to that, I think it was the, uh, LimeWire, Kazaar, uh, you know, oh, yeah. the torrent era. That this was a pre, good time. This is pre-Instagram, right? This yeah. Is- so pre-Instagram, pre and pre-streaming platform. Yeah, you know, in the time where you download from Kazara LimeWire and then transfer that onto your Winamp, that was a, that was a sweet spot. <laughs> I don't know, man. That was pretty stressful. That's I remember, a lot of right? work. Because you'd a lot get of greedy. Work. Oh yeah, you get greedy. I mean, I used to do, but for me, what I would tend to try and do is that I had friends who had like good, strong, maybe ISDN connections or ADSL. They download like torrents for albums, and I just download singles that I like. I mean, God, I remember a time when dudes were burning burning adult films onto CDs to exchange nice i wouldn't say that was a sweet part of the internet yeah yeah in fact that's probably the point in which it started beginning going downhill i tell, yeah. you what, I tell you why it was a sweet era maybe russell just kind of like trying to hone in on what you're angling at here is, is, is that things felt fresh right things felt original like ebay was probably like at that time had kind of had a rise up and it was just a kind of an amazing thing that you could just everything like Amazon, you know, Facebook, I mean, like you say, logging in on your computer to look at Facebook felt like an event, right? Whereas these fucking things in our pockets have just made everything so routine. It's just a routine, right? What you look at. I mean, if you look, if you look at it at all, and it's almost the problem is, is that now the internet, and like I said, because there's so much more commercial interest, that's the things, Howard mm. and uh, Russell, is that it was the monetization of the internet that changed everything. So prior, so YouTube, for example, was like the Wild West, and YouTube was like public access. Mm. I think there was such a good time where things felt like they were. Like, well, I suppose MySpace is an interesting thing in this in this consideration, right? Because that was a part of our lives for a period of time. And then it kind of faded out and, and then things have just become so institutionalized, I suppose, is what you maybe you're angling at Russell. I think, yeah, because I'm not, I'm always like, it was it though. 
And I think maybe there was aspects of it that were good back then, but there's a lot of aspects of it now that I definitely appreciate. I mean, like the stuff that you can access in a way is more vast and much better today. Mm, Yeah. But I just think that it's so, I feel like it's so competitive and that competition really is not something I don't know. I don't, uh, uh, competition causes a lot of discontent in me. And I just feel like, I don't know. It's just, and it also seems like there's a lot of, um, you know, like if you're going to put something on Instagram, there's all these rules to make it successful. And it just really like does, it just really makes me not want to do it. Cause it's like, let's say I put something on Instagram and everyone's like, well, you got to have subtitles and it's got to have this and it's got to look like that. And it's just like, what a headache, man. Mm-hmm. Like, why can't I, you know what I mean? So I think I'm starting to think maybe there's a way to engage with it today in a way that also utilizes um, how free it was back then. Whereas I, I, I put something on YouTube and this guy was like, your thumbnails are terrible. And I was like, <laughs> I got that, I I like, that as well. <laughs> and I was just like, you know what? Like I felt really bad about it. And I got all into that. I was like, well, I got to make good thumbnails. And then I just thought, you know what I'm going to do? I, I thought it looked cool how it was all different images. And it was just like, I just had black with white writing. And right. I just thought, and I just thought, you don't have to play by these rules. Like just, I don't really care anymore. I'm like, I'm just going to put something up and forget if it, I don't care if it is fits your little criteria. Cause it doesn't, cause it just stops me from wanting to do it. If you know what I mean? Yeah. But that's the commercialization. Like Dane was saying, it's because this real estate has been bought by so many people and it's just like, it's hard to compete. I mean, like it's like Ellen, has an Instagram that's, mm. I mean, there's like a, an Amazon warehouse working on it. So <laughs> you have like click farms. It's like, it's not only, it's, it's fully industrialized in that, like your presence online is not about you like chatting and wanting to meet people. It's like, now you have to have an established corporate entity whereby like there's a artist called Takeshi 69 who came out of prison, this whole rapper and stuff. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of furore and it's been the whole controversy about the fact that he came back out after um, being a uh, police informant, came back, is now free from prison. His his contemporaries are now incarcerated for the crimes that they did together. Now he's back. He had like 2 million um, people watching his Instagram, which is like a record for an Instagram live, to which he's released an album. And he's like, you know, look at my numbers, look at my numbers. Like, I can't be ugly. I'm the king of New York. Whereas I think we're now in a state digitally where there is probably a whole nerve center in India of people that are watching his, driving up his numbers, clicking on his things, like, I think now where historically you would have had street teams that work to like promote musical artists. There are now people that just employ people to create accounts online. They create accounts mm-hmm. online in support of an artist, showing solidarity with them, challenging their detractors to give this false image of popularity for these acts. Like even the guy, you know, Lil Nas X, who did the song Old Town Road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That guy used to work for Nicki Minaj as like a fan account. Hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. Well that now that's interesting. Cause that, this is something that I've thought about where, and this is uh, I think whenever I talk like this, I sound like old man nineties where everyone's like, Oh, okay. Like go play your hacky sack grandpa. But it's like, I think that the society has been moving towards being totally corporate for so long. I mean, since I don't know the eighties or whatever, and corporations just keep chugging and keep chugging. And they, they're like the T 1000, man. They just, they just, everything washes off. Like Nike had sweatshops. We all know that Nike's still around. They just keep going. They're just this thing. Right. 
And so now what's happened is I feel like individual artists because of the internet have somehow become, they're supposed to be not only the creator, but they have to be the marketer, the PR person and all this, this, all this business stuff wrapped into one. And I think like, uh, that to me is like, if, if the only people that are going to do well are the people that have those qualities, you're going to lose a lot of, um, really interesting, creative people, I think. Yeah. Just because I don't know, maybe that's naive of me to say, if you're creative, you don't, you're not necessarily business minded, but, but it's think- a, it's a saturated space, right? So therefore people will be fighting in a way. And therefore if, if it, it, it wouldn't just be based on talent then, which is what I guess it, it could have been more based upon in part periods, you know, past because the, the kind of the point of entry was, was quite complicated. So- well, it's definitely changed the output because if you think about the qualities of a business versus the qualities of an artist, a bit, and I think about this too much, but a business is supposed to give people what they want. The business doesn't right, yeah. think about, they don't think about whether or not it's good for them. McDonald's doesn't go, um, people like these burgers, but they're not very healthy. So I think we better not. Exactly. No, they like just so, but if you look at a good artist, what you make doesn't start from a place of what would people like? You just no, not at all. Exactly. It's, it's more about how can I take my feelings and, and then make it in something tangible that other people can perceive and then they can decide whether or not they like it. But yeah, there's just so many more parties that are involved. But and it's the same thing with you know, it's the it's it's the transition. I think Russell from show to show business, where like now there are more stakeholders involved in what you do. Like with with, with uh online and performing online, it's like algorithms, and this is supposed to. And we have to now, like you said, you're just trying to put up a funny clip. Someone's talking about your thumbnail. We are like, if an if picking up an album cover would put you off of an album, then you're just a shallow idiot, really. Like. Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd is like a was it like a prism? Mm. Yeah, it doesn't show you what the band's about. I can't see what the band is, but it's, so if I'm like, well, this looks like science. No, thank you. Like, <laughs> no. yeah, and and I guess White I, album. I guess exactly. But I guess a part of that is due to the level of saturation and like how it said how low the barriers are to entry within uh, yeah. online fair because like I said, it's it's, it's it is. I get what you're saying, I, and I think now is like the wild west. Hmm. Because mm. it's the ease which other people can enter it. And like I said, before when you had to go on a computer to be interacting on the internet and surfing the web, you needed, you know, you needed to make it a concerted effort. Whereas, yeah. you know, because you can do it from your phone now, the level of engagement required. I just think social media in general is weird because the predominantly everybody's like, everyone's like, I hate it. It makes me feel bad. And then on the other hand, so like we're told like it, it's bad for you. And then on the other hand, we're told, but you have to, you have to do it. It just seems why that is, fucking weird to me, man. It's because Russell. That's because the idea of social media is to create the same paradigm of stupidness as high school. <laughs> I can hate high school, but you feel that's why I don't like it. Yeah, yeah. fucking hate, yeah. If you if you are a critical thinker, you will hate social media because <laughs> the uh, way people are galvanized and way the association. There's no real merit based on. I like this person because they say stuff that I feel empowers me or I identify with it psychologically or spiritually. It's mm-hmm. just that that person's supposed to be popular because they're good looking. So I need to be over here and see what makes them popular. And hopefully by their proxy, I will be popular too, or I can drink off that popularity. I mean, in the same it, way that we all hate it and we just want to, but and we're all like, everyone's like, I hate it. It's terrible, but I want to go. And then it's this whole frenzy of like um, identity politics and belonging and, you know, 
comparison, which mm. obviously generates all of the insecurity and hostility on the internet because you've got a bunch of people who maybe felt like they peaked at high school, who are now leaving, living quite menial lives, who can now create a new um, avatar of themselves as the, as the lesson they want to be. So mm. it's like, not only can people have to re- regress back to this high school mentality, but it's now they can create, maybe you can create a personality and a whole persona of yourself that doesn't require, you know, that doesn't require any kind of credibility or any kind of scrutinizing yeah. and just be the person you always wanted to be at high school. And I can go as far as to be like, I wish I was a woman in high school. And then all of a sudden you can just transition on the internet. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it's that, it's that straightforward. And, you know, that level of escapism, unfortunately, people really, really thrive off that in a such a, as I said, in a world of supply and demand. Like, that's not even the world we live in economically anymore. The, the, uh, the, the, the demand is supplied by corporations. And then if you don't get involved, then you're made to feel ashamed. Well, and, and it's, it's like the biggest experiment that's never been given restrictions ever, social media, right? Like, it is never been tested as to what the impact will be on a large group of people. We're just finding out week week by week, year by year, what it's doing to us. And clearly there's some negative uh, repercussions. I did, I, did, I did like Kimbo Slice, though, having bum fights. That was pretty cool. Remember that? <laughs> oh, yeah. R.I.P. Kimbo. You ever see Rotten.com? Oh, yeah. And then I stopped liking the yeah. internet for a while. <laughs> Wait, did I see Rotten.com? I don't know. What is that? It was, it was, it was just a basically a website where all the stuff that you now see, which is like not safe for work. Yeah. Like, they're, oh. Which is like, <laughs> like autopsies and plane crashes. Oh, yeah. and, oh God. Like, oh, I heard about that. Yeah. yeah Cartel no. executions. But then that being said, I used to think, what the hell's wrong? But then there used to be a tape and it just to show just all this violent stuff and Mexican cartel stuff just filmed. Mm. Wow. Damn, dude. I didn't roll with those circles. <laughs> no, I, 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 never, I didn't see it, but I heard of it. It's yeah. like, you know, yeah, yeah. it's like the animal farm tape. Like you hear about it, but I want to see it. Yeah. Um, it's a bloody good question, Russell. I imagine we could talk about that all day because uh, it, 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 the internet just has taken over so much of our lives, isn't it? It's so interesting as well to be at a stage in our lives socially where we're like, it wasn't like my internet, you know, in my day, you had your mouse and people would listen. I know. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I'm afraid of sounding like because I do love everything so much I love today. I just think as far as my diet is concerned, I don't have a lot of time for just kind of like, I mean, like the last dance is like, what? It's going to be like 30 episodes. Yeah. No, I think I it's can't. over soon. Is it? I can't, I can't, but I can't be watching that. And also, I don't know, whatever your uh, family vacation photos are on Instagram. Yeah. Well, that's how this is just how people consume. People are overstimulated. And uh, yeah, it's very hard for anyone to process any clear thoughts if yeah. you're doing all of that. But just who we are now. But with that said, follow me on Instagram. It's uh, <laughs> <Russell> <laughs> Because I'm, I'm gonna try. I'm, I'm gonna just use it how I want to use it. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. That's an, that's an actual, I mean, how the institution is used. Make you use it. They'll make it use you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna move this uh, conversation into a very different area for, for my question. If that's cool with you, Russell. And my question was gonna be uh, a simple one. Do you like guns? Because uh, I, can't, I can't help but feel that the the, the 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 approach that people are having at the moment in this apocalypse is um, is and and obviously what happened in Michigan uh, with the protests uh, quite early on during the kind of uh, COVID uh, out, outbreak where they stormed the the government house and they don't didn't look like they were going to use the guns and then they just had these fucking massive rifles as they stormed it. Um, and, and, and how do you feel about guns, Russell, as a, as a, as a, you know, as a former American uh, citizen? 
I it's weird my relationship with guns because I like movie guns. Right. Like I love a movie with guns just all over the place. Yeah. Irresponsible bullets flying at random. End of Scarface, right? Oh, and a Scarface. Yes. Grenade <laughs> launchers. I take your bullets, man. <laughs> um, but then, but that is not real guns. Like I remember my neighbor had um, two rifles and they were just like in his house. And I remember just like seeing them. But when I was in America, I was a kid. It was his dad. And I just remember they just terrified me. And I was like, why would you want to have those in your i don't understand how it makes you feel safe my attitude with guns was always like if there's no gun in the house the chances of being shot by one are zero as soon as you put a gun in the house no matter how responsible you are the statistics have risen by about 10 like now there is a gun presence so this idea that like more guns in america doesn't cause people to get shot is like completely stupid it couldn't be couldn't be more stupid could it really yeah because it's like it's again it's like what are the odds you're going to get stabbed by a knife in this house? Well, there's no knives in the house. Well, then it's impossible. Well, I've just added one knife. Well, even if I'm living with monks, it's still (laughs) 0.1% because there's a a knife. So I think America's relationship with guns is really just the fact that they don't like to be told what to do. And they also like, and this is also what I love about America actually, is that we love and pride ourselves on being, um, completely opposite from the rest of the world. Right. So, if you really want America get, to get rid of guns, Canada, <laughs> Canada just has to pretend to love them, <laughs> and we'll be like, "Fuck those French!" Like, we'll just be done. If if Britain just pretends they like love weapons, America will be like, "No." I don't think Britain's got to do it. I think it's got to be a, another country. Well, a country that America can't really invade that easily. And then if they show that they like guns, then America will be less adverse to it. Yeah, the French. Yeah. But but I've never shot one. I mean, I I imagine they're fun. Like if you're in a shooting range, it's probably fun to shoot it. Did you have them as a kid, as in like toy guns when you were growing up? Like was that a part of your childhood? Yeah. I mean, I never was into – I always thought that the – uh, like I had like super soakers. Yeah. Which is a form of gun. Fair to which fair. is cool. Cause water, you get the a water ch- gun, you know? Yeah. You get to do the like, ch- ch- yeah. But like, but I always found the, the plastic guns you could get that were like exact replicas of like a, like a black AK 47. I just thought those were like boring and weird. It's weird, isn't it? Because, because it, it, you know, I, I don't know where, where, uh, you know, when you were a kid, if you, went to like a fun fair or like a fairground, you know, and, 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 and they'd be the things where you shoot, you know, like the targets and you win a prize. And, you know, that, that's kind of like quite a ni- nice use of guns, right? <laughs> like yeah. target practice. Like that's not such a terrible idea, is it? But how that kind of develops, I think, as you get a bit old. So it's just the idea of wandering around your garden with fake guns as a kid was probably quite normal many years ago. And now... Just seems absolutely mental, I mean, isn't it? It's normal. It'll be normal if you're if you're white, because like for most <laughs> American celebrities I see in America, this is they they have. There's always that picture of them with um. It's always a picture with the uh, the pistols dressed as a cowboy. Mm. Mm. That's a natural part of the culture, which I thought was natural until Tamir Rice was 12 when he was murdered by the police, and nobody went to prison for that for having a toy gun, like a cap gun. 
So mm-hmm. what I thought was always a natural image or icon of Americana very soon became very weird and dark. Um, so when you say Americans love guns, I feel like some Americans love guns, but they're just more depending on whose hands those guns are in. Mm. Probably uh, the point I was leaning towards there because, you know. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I think guns are very much glamorized as we're all growing up, and they've always been an indicator of, like, power. And obviously a tool of most stories that we tell involving, like, you know, struggles of good against evil and you're normally your lead protagonist in most of the media that we've been brought up on will have the biggest guns and there's even like a real phallic symbolism to having guns as well but i just think that as much as we create this idea that americans love guns i think it's more of a function of americans uh love a certain lifestyle and privilege and are prepared to uh use guns to defend that hmm. so, i don't know if i've skewed the question i don't know because like i think where I grew up in America on the West Coast, you didn't run into that many like gun toting enthusiasts. It wasn't yeah. really a thing. But like there's certain parts of America where guns are part of the culture. Mm-hmm. And so for some reason, Americans can't like they see it as a threat. I think it's less that they're like, I like these guns and I have all these reasons to have these guns than they just don't like to be told we're gonna take something from you. Mm. And they just see it as like everything's a slippery slope in the United States. It's really weird. Yeah. Like everything is like, well, if we do that, then eventually like we'll just uh you know, we'll become this like socialist society or whatever. It's it's bizarre, man. Yeah. From a young age, I always felt like you you, you were kind of uh presented with, like you say, a super soaker. Is kind of or uh, like Nerf guns have been like massively popular for years and years, right? Like those things that shoot. Yeah, uh, or both invented by the same guy, Lonnie Johnson. Really interesting. Yeah. Well, the, the Nerf the, gun I liked. The Nerf gun and the Super Circle were both created by the same guy. That's and, uh, mad he, that you know that. Yeah, because it's the only it's only guns that a black man's ever invented, and uh, he he didn't get paid for them until uh, 2016. Wow. So he wasn't even paid out on a patent for those weapons until 2016. Oh, damn. That's why I know that, Des. Those are sick. I love the Super Soaker. I did, like, I had a Nerf gun that shot, like, Nerf stuff, like darts and stuff. Yeah. Like Nerf darts. But, um... But it's weird weird to think, right, that you, you know, as much as all three of us here are are, are non-gun-toting, violent people, uh, you, you, you are given a kind of 
upbringing and then culturally like you said in movies right like I mean, if you get a good gun gun toting, like I watched Heat a couple of weeks ago, you know, the yeah. Michael, some of the gun scenes in that when they're robbing banks is just fantastic. So you, you can't really deny, I think, that you actually do quite like guns <laughs> in some ways. Yeah. It's just you don't want to have a load of them in your house. Well, that's what I'm saying. I love movie guns. I love yeah. guns. And yeah, movie, they, movie guns. Yeah, movie guns are great. Everyone loves a movie gun. And they always blame... They were, I remember when like some shootings happened in America and they blamed Quentin Tarantino. And I was like, well, if, if every Tarantino fan shot up a place, you'd see a lot more style. Like it's not yeah, exactly, <laughs> you know what I mean? If the guy showed up wearing a Hawaiian t-shirt and recited a passage from the Bible, I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, probably. But no, they're always dorks. They're always just these Boy, like dorks. nerds that were into like army figures and stuff. As No, kid. no, no. They're always into the army. Most like nine out of ten school shooters or people involved in massive because have all served in the armed forces of one form or another. Yeah. So, now this could be my internet shit right now, Russell. But you go back and look at those guys and look at all of their haircuts and see what they have in common. Really, <laughs> Dylan Roof, the guy who shot the um who, who Charlottesville, and the same guy who did the shooting for the uh, in the, the cinema and it all I do that shot of the Amish. Who is shooting up the Amish? Like they, you know, they can't defend themselves. There's nothing worse than that. So, yeah. but these guys all have a very similar haircut. And again, it's like, it's so weird that they always have this weird military background. Well, another thing about the, I think the biggest reason for all the shootings in America was, and nobody seemed to ever talk about this, but I was like, if you stop doing this, you'll stop having them. They would turn them into celebrities. So yeah, it was, a, it was, a, yeah, yeah, definitely. yeah. So it was a way for these people to be like, I'm a loser. I'm never going to be anything. And right now, celebrity is such a massive desire for everyone. It is, and attention is the most powerful currency on this planet right now. So they'd be like, well, if I shoot this place up, then they'll, they'll talk about me for a week and they'll, they'll yeah. want to know what was. So if they just would not met, give their photo and talk to their parents or something. Yeah. It's, uh, but there's guns in the UK, right? I've seen them at toy shops and stuff. There's loads of guns in the UK. I was never allowed to toy gun when I was a kid. Why is uh, that? Oh, I wasn't allowed to toy gun. Hmm. Oh, just literally because it rep- represents, and my my parents didn't want me to have a natural propensity towards using guns or violence. <laughs> um, I guess because they are aware that, like, you know, we are very desensitized to violence in this country. Yeah, so, I wasn't really allowed to have one either, BB gun or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I fired guns before, but, like, yeah, never had a gun. And, uh, yeah, seen loads of guns, but yeah. um, it's just weird yeah. to think how normalised they actually are. So if you take it away from the the mass shooter or the the person, I mean, who they've owns... been pretty normalised for a long time. I yeah, think yeah. the weird thing for me was that, like, you know, guns and the black community, the real pro- profile of it came along with uh, Operation Trident. Right. So I think that was like 1996. The police started Operation Trident, uh, which was their scheme for them to monitor the movement and use of guns within the black community. Mm-hmm which I found was very strange because it came so many, immediately a year after the Mephitsen inquiry revealed institutional racism in the police. It wasn't really the real campaign to go with. But I find it also very weird that you were profiling black communities when handguns became illegal in the UK because of the Dunblane massacre. Mm. That's why handguns became illegal because prior to that, handguns were legal in the UK and what used to happen is a very frequent process of converting of air rifles to fire live ammunition. Right. So there's like one gun called the Brockhock, it was a 22 revolver, and people would convert that into an actual pistol as well. That was like an air pistol. And I had a friend, he had like a, I think I had a, one of the friends I went to, he had a, I don't know, a Smith and Wesson, like a 9mm, but I used to fire like steel ball bearings. Wow. Hmm. 
and 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 where I used to live as well, there was a place called Catford Gun Company, which would sell rifles and like shotguns for like shooting pheasant and clay pigeons and stuff. But downstairs they had fully automatic weapons and they had like a soundproof like um, shooting range. Hmm. So yeah, I mean that sounds kind of cool. Oh, it's cool as hell! It's amazingly cool. Oh, no one's disputing it's not cool. Shooting range beneath your house. So weird. We like guns, right? Soundproof undergrounds. With certain people, I would shoot guns with Dane. Yeah, we we built fun guns. Yeah, I yeah gun. The mentality behind the barrel is very important as well. But yeah, it was it was fun. But it was like, and then you have to then you consider that the nineties also had like the Yugoslavian war. So you had all these countries breaking off and being armed and then having those. And then at the end of that, all the guns that would have been decommissioned were having to the flow of those. Then you had the troubles in terms of North Island, North, uh, Northern Ireland and uh, the Republic. Mm. So, you know, guns and armaments have kind of been flown quite freely through the UK for a while. So mm. it's always weird that there's a supposition that we're not really okay with guns. I think because of there's a lot of gun amnesties and a lot of handgun bannings, it means a lot of the guns in circulation in the UK aren't particularly... Uh, they're not new guns. No. Yeah. There's a lot of old guns in the UK. Um, so we don't really, yeah. So in terms of internal exporting of guns, we don't really get a lot, but yeah, we, we find with guns here. Yeah. <laughs> you, just look, you just looked at us like, but if you want to get them, Dane knows what you're <laughs> yeah. I'm your yeah. man. Well, yeah, you can't just bat him on a shot, but if you, yeah, I'm, sure, I'm sure that's with anybody if you want a gun bad enough. I had yeah. a friend that moved into my house and so he found a gun in his attic. Wow. Whoa. That's crazy. Yeah, there. So that's different to a spare light bulb, isn't it? Bloody hell. Um, Absolutely. Although, still, still lights out. <laughs> <laughs> that was my question, guys. I, I, wanted to, I wanted to pick your brains about that. I think it's a really weird subject. It was, it? A, good, it was a good question. It was a good question. It wasn't at all jingoistic. That's why I had to, we ended it on Britain's got shitloads of guns too. So. <laughs> yeah. Dane, let's chuck it over to you for your uh, question and cool. the final question of today's show. Again, Russell has been an absolute pleasure. What uh, our listeners may not know is that uh, Russell is very unique in that he may be one of the only comics. There's very few comics who never do the same set twice and are able to completely improvise on stage. So I obviously I'm in awe of this gift that you have. Uh, and I want to know if you've ever written down a set or or have you ever written down your first. What I want to know is because I know you don't write down sets, really. What was your do you remember your first ever comedy set? Yeah, um, <laughs> Yeah, because I, I used to write, when I first started, I would write it all down. Like I would do bullet points because I didn't really know that you could do that, which uh, I kind of like that because it's not like I went into the game like, oh, I know you can just riff. I, I didn't I didn't really realize that till like a, two years later, a year after. But I would, um, I remember I left my notebook. I lost it, my first notebook. And then about five years ago, I went back to America and um, I was at some bar and they were all looking at this. They had this like notebook and they were all laughing at it. I was like, what's that? And they're like, oh, I don't know. We've always had this notebook here. And we all just pull it out sometimes and look at the, the words. And it was mine. That's fucking um, crazy. That's crazy I was like, story. that's my notebook. And they're like, oh my God, this has been sitting behind the bar for like six, seven years. I was like, and so I got my first notebook and I still have it. It's the, like, the only notebook from that time I have. And they were laughing at it because the the <laughs> the ideas, it just said like, there was just stuff that just said like big penis. <laughs> I was like, all right. And then that was like, and oh, and that was affirmations. affirmations. <laughs> yeah. But it was circled with stars on it. So that was like my killer, whatever, my big penis bit. Do you remember um, how that first gig went, Russell? How was that first gig? Actually, my very first gig was, um, I remember, actually, I remember this uh, really well. Um, I had just uh, dropped my then like partner off at the airport. 
And I was like, I'm going to go do this, uh, my first set tonight. Okay. And I go down there and I called my brother and I was like, Hey, come with me. And on the whole way down there, I was listening to this comedian, Stephen Wright, hmm. who does like one-liners and stuff. And I, I just started thinking of all these jokes I was going to do. But I had just had this experience at the airport, which the airport at the time, this is like the Bush era. It was really just driving me insane. Um, or no, it wasn't. It was the Obama, but it was still the TSA and all that shit. And like, um, so I get there and my, I, I go to my brother. I was like, all right, I'm going to do this open mic. It was a musician open mic. And they were like, we don't like comedians. And so there was like, uh, there was only like six people in the crowd and all these musicians wanted to play. And I was like, this is like Roadhouse. This is going to be terrible. And so I, my, I, I go, listen, uh, tell my brother, I go, let me just tell you my set. Okay. So I do this five minutes and I tell him these jokes. I still remember one of the jokes. It was so bad. It was, I've been listening to Stephen Wright. It said, my car says, the dashboard said low oil. Does that mean my car is depressed and it wants me to massage it? Okay. <laughs> and my brother, after I'm done with the set, my brother goes, that you, what everything you just said is the worst shit I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and I was like, and then I, that made me a little bit mad. And I started yelling at him about, I was like, well, what do you want from me? And I started saying, I've been at the airport all day. And, and I just went off on one about the TSA and then the airport. And he was like, say all that. He was laughing. He was like, dude, say all that. And I was like, oh shit. And then, so we like wrote down all this like stuff that I just said. And I just, I went on stage and it was like, that was it. I just talked about, I remember doing it. I just went on stage. I did a bit that I just thought about. It was about the TSA, about how the same person that um, is checking my bag for bombs, you know, is like the same person who can't find a pube in my Big Mac or something like that, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. And like, like, I like that. And it was like, I just did that. And then I just remember it went by in a, in a, a, it blindingly. And then I, I, I prepared too much from then on, like six months of that. But it was interesting that the first time I did good was because I kind of like did what I do now, which is like, oh, I've just thought of this. Maybe I'll say it. It was very capricious, very like fucking whatever. But yeah, I used to just always do new shit. I I experimented a lot, man. I did like characters. I did like... I remember there was this one bar that was really rough to play. And so I, um, I bombed there. And then what I did to get revenge on them was I came back and did this character where I filled this um, prescription pill bottle with Tic Tacs. And I just pretended I was really nervous. And I just kept taking Tic Tacs, but they thought they were pills. And then I eventually dumped all of them in my mouth and they were just piling out of my mouth. And I, I ran out the door, jumped in my car and drove away. And I never, I never went back to the gig. How did it gig though? I called so my friends. That, yeah. The next day, everyone was like, dude, they, they they just, everyone just stood there like for like 10 minutes. Like they didn't know what happened. The Is mic it? was just on the floor. I don't know, man. I, no, I like it. Sometimes, sometimes you go, you got, you got to hold that audience hostage and let them know, man, you're performing. It's all good. I, I, um, I do want to say though, your brother don't know what the fuck he's talking about. I don't care. He went down stage with you. I'm, I'm projecting. <laughs> Cause you know, with, with family, it doesn't matter how good you get. Like they'll be like, I think we could be doing this a bit more. And, and <laughs> yeah. But he was totally correct. Yeah. He's never criticized me since. He's like a huge supporter, but he was out, he genuinely probably saved me in that moment from a year of being terrible. Yeah, you know, you know, it's it's interesting because with me, my first set, I remember the first couple, two or three drafts did the same. Just I didn't even get them on stage, but I was, I was reading them back and I'm like, this is not funny. And yeah. it was when I was trying to write jokes and trying to write funny stuff. 
And it was only when I started writing what I felt to be true and to be esoteric truths. And I was like, this makes sense to me. I can say this on stage and I can say this uh, in earnest. And, you know, and then we, and that's one of the first lessons you learn. It's, in, it's all in the delivery. And there's yeah. you know, tragedy plus timing. But for me, it was like, yeah, I had the same process of trying to write something that made people laugh. And it was like, yeah. Well, then after a while, I realized I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, if I thought about my whole life, I was like, nobody's ever said like, oh, Russell tells this great story. Oh, you've got to hear. It was always just sitting in an office and being the worst employee in the history of employment and just making my the, my friend next to me laugh about random bullshit. You know what I mean? Just mm. improvising. But so. That improvising element is fascinating, to, to, I think, to a lot of... Because I don't think everyone who watches stand-up or, or, or sees live comedy truly understands the impact that improvising and crowd work has. Because obviously everyone generally in live comedy writes something or has an idea of what they're going to do. But the percentage with which you can play with the audience that night you're there makes such a difference doesn't it it's it, it, it's it's the current as big a currency as writing at times for people isn't it Absolutely. Uh, yeah i agree i think so i think it, it's 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 a it's a different skill from writing uh and performing jokes but it requires the same amount of work and a knowledge of timing and being able to have an energy exchange and read a room and yeah well it's the bit that's the one-off right like so you know russell if people go and check out russell online they'll see uh, on his youtube channel and, and, and other places you get into things with people in the crowd. I know Dane does as well, and many comedians do, but there was a couple of clips I saw of you, Russell, getting into an argument with an American guy at Top Secret Comedy Club. or like, Yeah, yeah. Like, and those moments are the most alive, I think, that people ever feel in most performance spaces, across any genre, really. Like, you might see yeah. a guy do a guitar solo, and yeah, he changed the guitar solo a bit, or... The lyrics change, but the, that one moment where this person fucks you off, or or you end up going down a road with them, is 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 worth so much to the audience and the performers. I think in terms of getting that flow of laughter going, right? Yeah. Well, I, that was one thing I was always able to do, even in my life, is I will service the laugh to my own detriment. Even like if if I think I can get a laugh here, and this is like when I had jobs and everything, I'll I'll just like tunnel vision that Kill Bill music with like, like, and like, if I'm on stage, I'll be like, I'm taking this as far as we can go, you know, past that sort of point of like, Oh, cause you can't, you cannot back down from any situation. You can't sort of like creep back out the door on stage. Like you're dead. So you've just got to kind of like, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm always interested in that. Like if someone's arguing with me or something funny's happening, I'll be like, let's just take this thing all the way to the edge. Cause um, yeah. I don't know what, I, think uh, you I really... mean, listen, I don't know if they told you, but I don't apologize. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm rebellious. So. But the thing that fascinates me is obviously there's, there's people who haven't got that in them. Right. Like, and, and, and I, I, it doesn't mean that they can't write a really good joke. That's clearly, <laughs> that is a clear thing. You can write, you could not be able, be able to interact with punters and an audience and still write good jokes. But when you, when you see those moments happen, I mean, you must, it must make you feel more alive than anything though, right? When it's going well and suddenly out of nothing, literally just out of the scenario that has presented itself tonight, given the people that have turned up to the gig, uh, we're given the chance to just freestyle. 
Yeah, I think that's the thing about being like when you figure out what you want to do on stage, it's almost like comedians, I think, are genuinely like messed up and we don't really fit in society. But ironically, all of those things on stage will work for you. Like, for example, I have an addictive personality. I like, you know, so like probably I I don't, shouldn't drink or something like that. But on stage, that charge that I get out of improvising isn't, adi- I, I like that buzz. Hmm. And so I harness that addiction. And then, so there you go. So actually having an addictive personality and being, having ADD and being all those things, it works if you know how to, you know, ride it in, in standup, I think. I don't know. Right. Like Dane, you're, uh, I don't know what, what, what would you say? You're you, like, Dane, you probably are a super deep thinker, right? I mean, I have no frame of reference, but for me, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's deep. It's more about having unfettered thinking. So it's like, if I think about something, I don't think about it by like, so if I'm considering gender politics, I'm not like, oh, what, what does it mean for women to have feminism for me as a man? It's like, I don't think about, I don't try and think about the politics of life with identity politics. I'm not thinking about stuff as like how it affects me as a man or as it affects me as a black man. It's just always trying to look at everything externally. And just, yeah, and with, and with common sense, right? It's like, for example, I'll talk about something like, like even with social media, I'll be like, look, I don't understand why we celebrate Halloween because Halloween used to be a celebration of like the occult, right? People dressed up as witches and like wizards and ghouls and stuff, right? Now, like girls are wearing like jean shorts with the butt cut out to look like Harley Quinn, but this has nothing to do with Halloween. So really mm. Halloween is nothing but a celebration of how subjected we are to Hollywood marketing and merchandising. And then everyone, oh, yeah. and, I, and I just think, and I just say to people, why do you celebrate them? Cause it's nothing to do with the, if you dress up Captain America, cool, but it's not Halloween. If you're dressing up in like yeah. lingerie, like if you dress up in lingerie and just because you've got like contact lenses and it's like, this is not a critique of how you dress, but it's like, that's not, that's, that's Valentine's day. That's not Halloween. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. But I was just thinking of co- corporations sending out like, yeah. Yo, what are you? Oh, I'm amazon.com. It's not, it's not, we're not that far off. So yeah, for me, I, I try not to say I'm a deep thinker, but it's, it's always just a thing of, I'm always just trying to encourage people to consider something without thinking about it in terms of like being an employee. It's like, if you've got somebody by themselves in like a room where yeah. they knew that they wouldn't be heard or wouldn't be any reper- repercussions or I'm not trying to use this as a measure of your intellect. I think what most people will tell you about themselves would be very different to what they would normally say when they're more considering social convention and etiquette. Like most people... We'll be like, well, my job's going very well. And in five years time, I see myself, you know, really becoming a, a marketing, the head of marketing as an executive. But really the truth is you never wanted to fucking do that as a child. That never even entered your head. And if you had the chance where money wasn't an object, you probably wouldn't be doing it. And I'm just trying right. to- Right. So that, that's what I was trying to get at is like yeah. your superpower on stage yeah. would not be something that would service you in society because I'm imagining you work at an ice cream shop and I'm yeah. like, how's how's the rocky road? You'd be like, it's fucking garbage. Yeah, like, exactly. Sucks. <laughs> and your boss would be like, Dane, um, yeah, we're really <laughs> trying to push and, it. And that's the problem. That was always my approach. Like, I remember my man. I used to work in media sales, and I remember my manager, my first, my last manager before I decided to do comedy as well. She was like, oh, um, let's said this. Keep it in mind, the manager of a sales team, and uh, she felt I was being too cocky. Uh, Lord knows why, because it wasn't like I was making loads of money. But she was like, I don't know why you get so up your own arse, Dane. It's like 80% of most sales are luck anyway. And again, I was like, 
even if you don't like me, is that the best way to motivate a sales executive? Yeah. Because <laughs> at the same time, because then, because then she'd have like, we'd have like a sales pipeline, and they'd be like, ones, these are all your sales that's got like seventy five percent likely to come in, and these are the ones that you're fifty fifty about. And I'm like, but if eighty percent of these are all luck, why do I have this spreadsheet? Yeah. Sense. And then everybody, and then every, and I'd keep saying to people, if it's if it's luck, why have you got a spreadsheet? And everyone would just be like. Please, I, I'm just trying to earn money for my family. You see the picture of them on my screensaver. That's why I'm here. Yeah, yeah. That was, yeah. I know. That's the thing. That's that mindset of breaking everything. Everything is ridiculous. Yeah. I think that's another thing about a stand-up. Yeah. When, a, when a stand-up is, I don't know, a comic in general, just in life, you're like everything, you have to bring everything back to like Yeah, nothing um, can be taken zero. seriously. Yeah, you can't yeah, take because seriously, including it, yourself, it, especially yourself. Yeah, but if there's anything in the air that's not being acknowledged, we have to acknowledge it, otherwise it drives us nuts. Exactly. Like, yeah, so jobs were the worst. Yeah, like yeah, jobs. Yeah, exactly. And and for me, it's like you know, again, I always reinforce the point to people where I'm like, I don't know how much of an, an intrinsic reward there is with hitting a sales target because it's like if I get a black belt, I've com- I've completed a stage of a, like a martial art system, and I can go and do a new martial art because I've got a certain level of proficiency here, or I can yeah. to learn, right? Because you can build on it and there is, you gain more proficiency or whatever. Or like, for example, once you make, if you follow a recipe and you make a cake, there's a visual representation of your achievement that can be enjoyed. If you hit a sales target, you're just going to have to hit another sales target and a higher one. Yes, that's what I mean. I remember when I worked at Jobs and they would do all that like, we're a family and all this motivation yeah. stuff. And like, so the comedian is like, what? Why are you like? I can't buy into this. Just yes, tell me, look me in the eye, and tell me that I am just a number. And if I don't, at perform, least be honest. Yeah, yeah, at least be honest. If you if you give this impression that we're a family, it's like when people are like they need to apply yourself and you can go somewhere. I'm like, but I'm looking in your open plan office, and there's a woman having a nervous breakdown. So, <laughs> like, oh, and I, and it's so bad. As what makes it even worse was like, I won't take it seriously, and I question stuff. And you know, people are not used to stuff being questioned because I remember. Like I'd question one of my managers in my first sales job and she'd be just on me the whole time. You're shit. You're not at uni anymore. Like there's this whole thing that people have with me with reminding me that even though I have a degree there, my boss. Yeah. Where did you is. work, dude? Wall Street? <laughs> no, I didn't. I was in, a, in like in Hammersmith, like a sales company that sells like magazines for like regeneration and renewal, like real big, boring business publications. But then like it'd be, for example, they'd be like, Dane, we want you to go to, to, go, to call people in Scotland and pitch this magazine. Because with the legislation is changing, they're going to need jobs. And I'd be like, but if they don't have that legislation in Scotland, why do I have Scotland? And they'd be like, why are you so rebellious? You're always answering back. And I was always under this impression that I was the, like, the weakest link and I was the person that needed to catch up with everyone in, the, in, the, in my sales team. Yeah. What I didn't know is that everyone else is having like, they're crying their eyes out on the corridor because they can't <laughs> take the pressure. I didn't know you're yeah. supposed to crack under pressure at work. I didn't, because they're like, you know, be a salesperson, be tenacious. But everyone else on my team's had a fucking nervous breakdown. Then they come back and they all sit there being quiet while I'm getting fucking blazed and roasted. These times they've all had their own mental health breakdowns. I don't know how people stay in jobs like that. Like I have no idea. Honestly, even, man. And, and trust me, to any listeners here, quitting is much easier than you oh. think it is. It's <laughs> so easy. Yeah, I was at a telemarketing place once and this guy is screaming yeah. at an employee in the office. And this is my first day. I hadn't even clocked in yet. And I'm just watching that, looking around like, we're not getting paid enough for this. And I just told the guy, I go, um, I left my pen in my car. Yeah. <laughs> and he stared at me and he goes, That's the worst excuse I've ever I know, I know. And he goes, Did you really? And and I go, Yeah. And he goes, 
you're coming back, right? I was like, yeah. And it was an open window and he could see me go out, <laughs> get in my car and drive away. I was like, peace. <laughs> Who the fuck, fuck stay in that job? I was like, we're not getting any money. I'm going to be yelled at. Yeah. By somebody who odds are are not even in full control of their own lives to be telling you how to live yours. Like, mm. and, that's, and that's what I mean. Like that for me, I don't think I have any unique or um, superior insight to most people. It's just that I just don't, let the voices that go, you need a job to be able to get a pension and you need a job for your family, blah, blah, blah. Those things just don't enter my head. Mm. Can I ask one last question just for Dane? This is a quick one because Dane, you're like a Nostradamus to me. (laughs) I think you're very wise. What, where are we going? Nostradamus, sorry, just throwing that out there. Nice. Oh, where where are we going after this, Dane? This, where is comedy headed after the outbreak? Are we? Comedy is definitely, the numbers are going to be thinned out significantly. I think um, we probably at best have maybe another year and a half before we reach some point of normalcy, unless there's more novel ways for you to interact with the audience or you can literally have a space where you can have social distancing, then it might take a while. And there may be some politics about it. It's just going to be a very painful, awkward experience of listening to people say stuff like, well, I had a boyfriend before Corona. I had a wife before Corona. (laughs) (laughs) Give it to me. Give it to me so I can kill myself and not listen to this anymore. I look at at a point in time where, you know, someone who looked like me wasn't even allowed on television. So people have endured and they've been able to prosper throughout worse for myself. So that's why I'm like, "Eh, it could be worse. When the the war stops running and the lights go out, then I'll be worried. Yeah, but Dan, you have to understand as a white man, this is the hardest I've ever had it. (laughs) (laughs) So good for you, but I'm really struggling. We're here for you, you, Russell. We're here for you, Russell. And thank you for coming on the show today. We're here for you. That's it. We're here for you. You're going to get through this, man. Thanks for having me, man. No, I hope you've enjoyed it. It's been amazing talking to you. It's been great, man. Um, Russell, please tell the audience where they can find the stuff and check it out. I can't recommend Russell enough. He was my uh, amazing tour support uh, before we postponed the tour for next year. So I definitely can't recommend uh, this guy enough. I vouch for this man. Where can we find you, Russell? Thank you, buddy. Um, I have stuff that I'm, I have vast archives of all this, like, cause I do, like you said, improvise so much. I've got, I'm just putting stuff on YouTube from plumbing the archives. So we've got tons and tons of stuff. So if you want to see what it what it is I do, that's where you can go. And also, yeah, I'm doing Instagram. Doing Instagram. Why do I sound like such an old man when I say it? Why can't I just say... I'm uploading I'm, to uh, Instagram. Yeah. I'm doing Instagram. Surfing the gram. Russ, love the new hair, bro. Stay strong. Mm. And um, Thanks. Yeah, let's talk again soon, bro. Good to hear from you. Take care Thanks of yourself, man. Russell. Thanks. Look after yourself. Day, man. You've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at DaneBaptweets or Instagram at DaneSnapTeast. Our guest was Russell Hicks. You can follow Russell on Twitter and Instagram at Russell Hicks with two S's. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Decode. You can follow D on Twitter and Instagram at Official Decode. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. Thanks to Polly, Gelly, and the ACAST team for all their support. Thanks for listening, guys, and remember, question everything. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.